Welcome to Financial Plan and Explain, and I'm your host, Mike Menninger, certified financial planner, owner, and founder of Menninger and Associates Financial Planning. Uh, I have an interesting guest here with me today uh, by the name of Steve Keller. Uh, Steve Keller basically started his own business, and I don't know if he bumped into, encountered, or whatever, uh, a very unique use of trusts. And, you know, I, we deal with trusts as it pertains to estate planning, uh, but his use of trusts is rather interesting. Uh, so with no further ado, uh, I'd like to introduce Steve, Steve Keller, uh, founder of Steve Keller Consulting. Welcome, Steve. Thank you for joining us today. Thanks for having me. I appreciate it. Excited to be here. Good, good, good. So tell me, uh, in the beginning, there was Steve Keller. <laughs> tell, tell me about yourself, Steve, please. Yeah, I, um, I was a camera guy for 10 years. And uh, that's what I went to school for. That's what I, I studied at Michigan State, TV, radio, and film. And that's what I wanted to do. Got my dream job out of college, worked at ESPN. I was an intern at ESPN uh, the summer before my senior year. And then that landed me a, a full-time job, my dream job right out of college at the mothership in Bristol, Connecticut. Ah, sweet. So I went, uh, I went there and uh, kind of realized pretty quickly that the big being an employee for a big giant company was probably not for me. Um, so I, I kind of quickly moved from employee to self-employed and in, in my world, you can be a, a freelancer. So that's what I decided to do. Bought my own equipment, went out on my own as a, an independent, independent contractor and spent, uh, yeah, the majority of my working life as a camera guy working in sports TV. So it was a lot of fun. Um, and, Really early on, once I made that transition, I was working on a political show in New York City, and we had a guest on our show named Robert Kiyosaki, and his book Rich Dad Poor Dad was on the studio table. Oh, neat! So I picked that up, started reading it, and uh, decided to buy the book and read that book and everything else that he's written, and kind of sent me down a rabbit hole. So I stayed self-employed for for a while, but that really kind of opened up my eyes. So I started trying different things. Um, businesses, side hustles, you name it, right? Like I just, I kind of wanted to see what other options were out there for me. Um, I was pretty good at being self-employed, liked the gig, um, you know, had a pretty decent lifestyle, made a great living. It was pretty good for me and uh, was, and ended up getting married. We were, had no kids, double income, no kids for a long time, decided Thanks. to have kids. Well, um, this all kind of came to a head when COVID happened. And so when COVID happened, I lost, um, I mean, I had no work every sports shut down globally. And, uh, and then we found out my wife was pregnant with twins. So, uh, we were like, okay, well, I guess we got to figure something out now. It didn't had no clue how long COVID was going to affect me being able to work in TV. Right. So nobody did, but also knew, Hey, I've got little ones on the way. I don't want to, um, I don't want to travel for the long haul, you know, working in sports TV is all always on the road traveling and with little ones on the way, I was like, you know, I need to do something else anyway. So I decided to buy a, buy a small business. I actually didn't start either of the companies that I own now. I bought both of them. So I bought my first small business and, um, stumbled upon a really interesting, interesting industry. So I bought a crime scene cleanup company and oh, that's uh, it. That's did okay. never find myself in that space. Uh, I went from camera guy to crime scene cleanup business owner. Very interesting turn of events. I would say so. Um, but it got me into the game. It got me into business ownership. It was a small little deal. It was the right time. It was the right size. 
And uh, fast forward a couple of years after that, I found another deal and this one was much bigger. And um, so I ended up buying another one. So I, I own two of them now. And, uh, but the second one, I had to go get an SBA loan. It was a seven figure deal. And when I got to this point, that's when I started to, I was introduced right around the same time to the trust strategy and structure that I use now that we'll talk about and had put that in place um, and was really kind of allowed me because now I've got two businesses, they're kicking off cash, you know, everything's flowing to my personal tax return. So just using LLCs as path through, pass through entities, right. um, tax as an S corp, kind of the typical best case scenario, um, which is what I did as a, as a self-employed camera operator too. LLC taxes and S corp save on some self-employment tax. And, um, so yeah, when I got introduced to this new strategy, I was kind of blown away and it was perfect timing because now I've got two businesses that are, that are doing really well for me. And I'm able to mitigate uh, a really big portion of my tax liability from the profits of those businesses because of it, amongst some other things. So that's, that's where I'm at today on, on two of those businesses have the trust uh, structure and strategy in place. And then Steve Keller Consulting is my my passion business where I talk about this uh, topic on podcasts. I talk about it with other business owners, um, try to educate them and share with them how I'm using it and how they could use it. And um, yeah, that's what that's what brought me here to talk to you about it. This is excellent, Steve, that's really cool. And I'd like to dive into that, but, but you also just uh, poked me in, in one of my interests when you said your dream job, you went to ESPN. Like when I hear dream job, I think of working for ESPN. So it's funny you say that. Uh, now you say a cameraman, filming, right? Video, camera? Yeah, vi video, yeah. I was a steady cam operator, which is a, um, uh, it's a specialty camera stabilization. They've got all sorts of different technology uh, today, but they still use the old traditional one that I used to use uh, throughout my whole career, which is just a body mounted stabilizer. So, um, you know, I'd chase football players around on the field. I did Monday night footballs and was the, it's the camera who runs the quarterback out to the huddle and uh, you're, you feel like you've got no business being out there amongst, uh, <laughs> amongst these massive human beings. Um, but yeah, so I was, I was a specialty specialty position was a vendor treated as a vendor by the networks worked for espn uh, as a vendor worked for espn fox oh so you CBS weren't actually network. employed by espn say that again you were not actually employed by espn i wasn't uh my first my dream job i was i was a staffer right okay worked in-house with their equipment when i quit to become self-employed i bought my own equipment then then i was not employed by espn then i was a vendor to espn oh okay the other networks okay Okay. Me along the way. So what sports did you cover? I did a lot of college football. I did a college football show uh, called SEC Nation uh, oh. from the very first season, and I did eight seasons of that. That is a, um, a pregame show on Saturday yep. mornings during college football season, very similar to college game day, right. just for the Southeastern Conference. So wait a minute. Uh, Michigan State is part of the Big Ten. Mm -hmm. <laughs> How did you end up in the SEC? Yeah, uh, better weather. All right, give me that all day long. And I live in, Say and I no live in more. Dallas, Fort Worth now, so uh, <laughs> travel-wise, much easier for me to get around. I, I had a buddy who is who is from lives in Alabama, born and raised in Alabama, SEC guy, and he ended up working on the Big Ten version of the show that I worked on. He was like, "Wait a minute," and I was like, "Bro, I'm not trading you for that." Like, yeah, right. Exactly. You can, you can go to Madison, Wisconsin in December, man. That's on you. Been there, been there, done that, and it wasn't exactly yeah. like we got bombed with snow in January. So, anyway, that's I just went off the the rail. A little bit so 
again, you go back, you start your own business as a cameraman. Um, you were doing it, I guess, in New York, then you moved down south, and then are you still doing that? Uh, today? Yeah. No. no right. I, uh, I, after I bought my first business, I worked one more football season after COVID uh, kind of things got sorted out and sports came back and they started putting us on the road again. Um, I had owned that business for a little while and then I, I did both at the same time. I ran the company and was on the road uh, for one more season and then decided to call it quits after that and just focus on that one business, which then led me to the second acquisition. Sure. And then isn't the premise of rich dad, poor dad, you make money on other people making money for you? Uh, yeah, I mean, his whole thing is, I mean, the main thing is the cash flow quadrant, which is, you know, the four different ways that you can make money, which it's been interesting to move through those. So I was an employee to start. Mm -hmm. The next most logical step is to be self-employed. And then right. from there is to be a business owner where you have people working for you right. to, to, to do the stuff. And then the, the last one is investor. So I'm working through that, uh, but it's been interesting to try and find my way, you know, through that, uh, through that quadrant to each, each next step gets you a little bit um, a little bit less time for a little bit more money, right? So right. your time exchange for money, typically, if done right, doesn't always mean that way. And there's plenty of business owners that that work more than they did when they were an employee. But um, yeah, that was the that's the goal uh, working through working through that process. Well, that's a very interesting transition. Never thought about it that way, but it's absolutely uh, absolutely true. So now, you discovered the use of this trust. Okay, you, you refer to it as a specialized trust. Is there a title for the type of trust or it doesn't really matter? I'm just curious if there is. Um, no, some, some folks who, you know, like the organization that I uh, bought it from and that has like a, like packages it in retails actually has a business around providing it and, and helping people implement it. They have a name for it, but it's just branded with theirs. So no, there's no, there's different characteristics of it that allow it to, you know, that were written, the attorneys wrote it specifically so that it can can do the things that you want it to do as the vehicle that it's intended for. Um, it's an irrevocable trust. That's usually something that people right. understand. That's kind of one of the key uh, components of it. It is irrevocable, um, but there are other characteristics that are involved in it. And I'm not a, a CPA, I'm not an attorney. Uh, I'm just a business owner and uh, not yeah. long ago, I was just a camera guy. So, and and, and um, it works for you, that's, that's all that matters. That. And, um, but, uh, but yeah, it's, it's got various different characteristics that allow it to do you know, what we want it to do within well, the constructs of being above board and with the IRS. You had, um, you had briefed me a little bit when we had a preliminary discussion and a lot of the things were super, super cool that it provides, and we're gonna be talking a little bit more about that in the second half. But one of the things um, that I wanna just ask you about, because this is a word that is a scary word, is irrevocable. Mm -hmm. When people hear irrevocable trust, just that term irrevocable, if I put money into the trust, I can't take it back out. But the way you describe the way these trusts work, it's almost, as if it's not, because tell me a little bit about the value add that the trust provides, aside from tax mitigation or deferral. What are some of the things this trust provide? Um, well, the other big components that it that it can do for you is asset protection is is as good as I've found. So there are other types of trusts 
Um, and this is to my knowledge, again, I'm not a, an attorney, but there are other types of trusts and other types of entities out there that provide you some sort of asset protection, LLCs, other, you know, living trusts, revocable trusts, like all these other things, but they're, to my understanding, much more easily penetrated when, you know, by the court of law and by judges and right. those different things and things can happen. So this one, um, the way that we have everything set up is is much greater asset protection. It's much harder to pierce the corporate veil of the trust itself to to access the assets and the way that it operates. So that is a huge thing. So the asset protection piece of it is one of the other things that most people really like. And then the generational uh, wealth transference. Uh, so when it transfers from one generation to the other, the thing that I really liked about it was their all the assets that 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 the trust owns or that you sell to it that the trust buys throughout the course of time um and i'll just always use myself in it as an example so i'm the trustee of my trust and when um when my time is up and i pass away um there's no trigger that happens nothing happens to the assets they don't there's no uh, things are being distributed to beneficiaries no, no, nothing like that happens the the entity itself and the assets stay exactly the way that they were right. while i was alive all that happens is the successor trustee who's named in the trust then becomes trustee and now they control it and they are um, uh, responsible for operating it in whatever way they see fit because now they're the trustee but hopefully i've done enough uh things right and and hopefully later on in life that's one of my kids or both of my kids who become the, the trustees after i'm gone and my wife is gone um, and then they control um, that and continue on and their kids become beneficiaries and that's how it generationally can, can keep going for generations. Not to mention if it's an irrevocable trust that escapes a state tax. Um, Steve, we're gonna come back in a few moments. Uh, we're at the, the midpoint break. So everybody, please stay tuned. We'll be back with you in just a few moments. Do you keep up regularly with your investments? Where exactly are your hard-earned dollars going? Are you financially prepared for an emergency? I'm Mike Manager, founder of Manager & Associates Financial Planning. We believe that education and knowledge are powerful, and we want our clients to understand why we are making the recommendations that we make. It's your money, and you deserve to know where it's going, because it's not how much you make, it's how much you keep. So call us today to Welcome back to Financial Planning Explained, and I'm delighted to be here with Steve Keller, who he and I could probably have all kinds of discussions when it comes to sports, but that's not the purpose of the show. Um, anyway, so what I want to do is pick up, we were talking about the trusts. You were referencing you're the serving as the trustee, you die, it goes to your wife who becomes the trustee, uh, she dies, it goes to the kids who become the trustees. Those are typical of trusts. The, the remarkable piece of this trust is the things that you're doing with it, even in spite of it being irrevocable, because when you're irrevocable or irrevocable, okay, irrevocable, <laughs> um, you just immediately think, okay, hands are tied. So Steve, tell me how you're using it. Yeah, so the strategy that we have is, um, very simple in theory. Um, I've got to get income into the trust so that I can pay for expenses that the trust has. So step one is to get income in there. Well, it's got to be passive income because that allows me to uh, defer the taxes on it if there are uh, if there is surplus left over after the expenses for there to be a potential taxable 
um, portion. And so in order for me to get income in there as a business owner, what I've done is my trust is a 90% uh, member of both of my LLCs. So I own two businesses, they're multi-member LLCs, and I only personally own 10% of each one of those and my trust as a member and my trust is a 90% member. Um, and then, so the trust gets a K-1 at the uh, at the end of the year and gets distributions throughout the year. So 90% of the profits of both of my businesses will get distributed to the trust bank account. Right. And it's passive income to the trust. It's not an active member in either business. It's, it's, and it's essentially an investor for all intents and purposes. And so that's how income gets into the trust. And that's how only 10% of the profits flow to me personally for my personal tax return. So then once the money gets into the trust, um, now we've got to find ways to use it, right? Because you're like, well, now the money's in there. What can we do with it? Well, it can pay for trust expenses, number one. And trust expenses include various things. Number one, it's, it's, uh, it's able to pay for uh, health care and education expenses for its beneficiaries. Right. So Perhaps. I have a wife and two kids, my, and I have twins. And uh, so it can pay for their Montessori that they go to. It can pay for their college education, obviously any out-of-pocket uh, costs, health care costs um, that happen. Even though we have insurance, obviously you still have out-of-pocket costs, deductibles. Those things can all be paid for. So those expenses that were previously personal expenses now become trust expenses. Um, and so the goal is how many personal expenses can I create that can now be considered trust expenses? Well, the easiest way to do that, aside from the ones that I just mentioned and other things related to beneficiary costs that are allowed to be paid for, is any asset that the trust owns, it has to pay for. So I have sold um, basically all of my personal assets to the trust. So that does two things. Number one, it takes all of these personal expenses that used to be tied up in my house and my vehicles and other assets that I own. Now those are trust owned by the trust. I don't personally own them. So the trust has to pay for them. So for right. example, my house, um, well, the trust's house now, uh, the mortgage taxes, insurance, uh, any bills, uh, cable bill, electric bill, water bill, furnitures, fixtures, lawn guy, pool guy, right? You name it. You start to kind of understand all these big expenses that are associated with what used to be your personal home. Um, are now able to be paid for by the trust with these tax deferred dollars that I've sent into the trust because it's a member of one of, of both of my LLCs. Um, same thing goes for vehicles, any other types of assets you have, boats, RVs, you name it, right? It, the trust can own any asset that it wants. It can buy any asset that it wants right. and then has to pay and maintain those assets. And then those assets are for beneficiary use, right? That's what it's the whole purpose of the trust, right? The beneficiaries get to use those. This is so cool, man. I'm telling you, this is just freaking ultimately cool because what you're referencing um, is the acronym used sort of in the legal industry or the estate industry or, the, or whatever is HEMS. Have you ever heard that acronym? HEMS, Health, Education, Maintenance and Support. So basically what the irrevocable trust is doing is it's paying for the health care. It's paying for education if you want it maintenance and support. Maintenance and support can be, as you indicated, paying for the house, paying for the expenses of the house, et cetera, the vehicles and everything else like that. This is amazingly cool. So the tax deferral piece, I have a question on because I'm curious if you know the answer to it. Let's say for instance, the LLC has $100,000 worth of income. But then 
So in other words, the, 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 it, now the trust receives $100,000 worth of passive income. If it only spends 80 on the healthcare, the education, the mortgage, the pool boy, and all that fun stuff, okay? If it only spends 80, does that now mean that the trust is subject to tax on 20 or you're not really sure? That is the piece that's left over that you can defer. It is, okay. Yes, so okay. if you if you had $100,000 and then you had uh, of income that went into the trust and then you had $100,000 of expenses, well then your tax return, the trust tax return is already zeroed out, right? Because right. there would be nothing left. But now in your, in your example, there's $20,000 left over. Um, yeah, that is the deferral part. So that, you know, you can do a number of things with that. You could, you could distribute it to beneficiaries if you wanted to, but that then it's going to, they're going to get taxed on it, right? It's going to go to their personal tax return. Or you can tell the IRS, Hey, um, I'm going to defer the income tax on this. I'm going to allocate the remaining funds to the corpus of the trust, which is a fancy term to just tell the IRS, Hey, I'm not going to distribute these monies to any beneficiaries. Right. So don't tax me on it. You can tax me on it later whenever I decide to distribute it or do whatever I'm going to do with it. So you can take that money into the following year and do whatever you want with it. You could distribute it if you wanted to, but anytime you distribute money to a beneficiary, there's obviously going to be a taxable event. Correct. So to avoid that, we keep it in house and we buy other assets. We invest it in different types of growth funds. You can buy cryptocurrency, whatever you're into, right? That is, and it's a discretionary trust. So it's uh, it's at the discretion of the trustee to decide what to do with that moving forward. So that is one piece. Um, that's the deferral piece, right? You're you're able to, and it's a, it's a smaller amount, right? So you're sending all this pre-tax dollars profit from the businesses in there and then being able to spend it on these expenses first and then whatever's left over get to decide, do I defer it? Do I distribute it? What do I do with it? So that's the, that's the deferral aspect of it. Dude, that is, I can't, I just, I'm, I'm just so blown away by how cool this is. So whenever I hear the word deferral, I know that it's waiting for me. I'm deferring it until later. At yep. what point in time does it get taxed? I think you're referencing only when it's distributed. But yeah. so let's say, let's just use the example and let's magnify it by 10 times. You got a million dollars going into the trust every year as income. Yep. And you're only spending 600,000. So the trust is accumulating $400,000 a year and that $400,000 is tax deferred. Are you saying the only time it is ever taxed is when it's distributed to a beneficiary? To my knowledge, yes, as long as you declare the deferral on the tax return at the end of the year. You tell the IRS, hey, I'm going to defer it again. I'm going to defer it again. You can do it in perpetuity so you can keep it in-house uh, in that trust, in that tax deferral deferred environment. You can keep it in there without having it be subject to the taxes. You can tell that you, you tell the IRS every year. Hey, I'm going to keep it. I'm going to keep, you know, and the trust is going to buy more assets. The trust is going to invest in funds, whatever it's going to do. Um, but yes, to my knowledge, and that's what I've been told over and over again during my due diligence of all this is yes, every single year you can defer the remainder. And yeah, you're right. There's a lot of people that use this strategy that have millions of dollars, tens of millions of dollars and hundreds of millions of dollars that are doing this. Right. And they're, they're deferring much greater than $20,000 a year or hundred grand a year in, in whatever's left over. Um, but yeah, the answer to your question is yes. Well, I mean, practicality of the matter is you're not gonna go through these efforts for something that's generating, you know, five or $10,000 a year in income. I mean, I don't think right. it even makes sense to do anything less than six figures because, you know, you gotta, 
spend the cost for creating it, okay? And then anytime you have an irrevocable trust, you obviously have to do a tax return for it every year. So another question for you, using an LLC where the trust is a 90% owner of the LLC, uh, can it also be the 90% owner or whatever that number might be? I mean, you, you use a 90, it could be any percentage. Um, yeah, some people do 95.5, some people do 98.2. I think if you're, if, if you're actively involved in the business that the trust is a member of, it is suggested by the attorneys and the CPAs to have some personal, retain personal ownership as sure. well as a member. Now, if the trust is investing uh, the money in the trust to, uh, let's say, a real estate syndication, and it's going to be a 5% limited partner in one of those, it can, it can own 100% of that. Like, the like you right. don't have to personally own any of that. But... Um, but it, can it be an escort? No. Oh, it has to be an LLC. Yeah. So, uh, like most people have the, the LLCs taxed as an escort, but has to. You have to get rid of the election because the there's rules around um, trusts being members and owners of escorts. That's that is one caveat. Okay. But I mean, the upside is is obviously it's usually not a sticking point for anybody. Um, now there are other ways around that as well. There are some other creative ways that you can say, hey, well, you're going to leave your LLC taxes and S Corp entity in, its, in that way. And then you can have um, another LLC that the trust is a member of that has uh, you know, a management agreement with, with uh, that other LLC and they get paid management fees. So there's, there's, there's ways if you wanted to keep that entity structure the same, there's just not nearly as many benefits because you wouldn't be able to, um, you wouldn't be able to mitigate as, as high of an amount to my understanding of how the different strategies can work. All right. So, Steve, I don't, I don't know how many times I'm going to tell you all in one breath and one. This is so cool. Uh, we are out of time. But you know what, though? Uh, what I'd like you to do is, is kind of just, you know, how can people find out more about this? You're kind of uh, a spokesman, if you will, of the firm that does it on top of what you do. How do people get a hold of you? Yeah, uh, the easiest way is my website, stevekellerconsulting.com. There's information there. Uh, there's ways to book a schedule or schedule a call with me. Uh, my, my phone number is on there if you want to text me to, to find a time to chat. And that's usually the easiest way. I, I don't charge anything to consult with people. Um, I love helping if, you know, the way that I get compensated is if this is right for somebody, they decide to do it with the firm that I'm working with, um, then I get compensated by them on the back end. Otherwise, I'm just here to provide value and share this with as many people as I can. Because for me, as a small business owner and, a, and somebody who has a young family, um, the impacts of it are going to be and already have been incredible for us. And uh, more people need to know about it. Um, it's it's an unbelievable tool and mechanism when used correctly. I see that already. I see that already. Steve, thank you very much for joining me today. Uh, thank you for the viewers to watch this. Wow, this was so cool. Uh, super, super cool. How many times am I going to say that? Um, but uh, thank you for joining me today. Uh, I hope that you learned something about this. This sounds like it's very applicable to folks who are business owners and you know, please give Steve a call. You could probably expect that I'm going to be giving him a call after this because I want to better understand if and how I might be able to do it with my business and to be able to at least be a talking point for other clients of mine who may be able to benefit. And hopefully you as a viewer uh, will be able to take this and, and utilize this opportunity. So once again, thank you. My name is Mike Menninger, uh, owner and founder of Menninger & Associates Financial Planning. Thank you for joining my show. Look forward to seeing you next week.
Thank you.